Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are in our second week of a series we've called Christmas Portraits. And we've been looking at some, some snapshots, some portraits, some images of some different people. In the nativity story, in the, in the Christmas story. And a lot of times we immediately begin to think of, because it gives us a, a, a pleasant feeling. And most of our Christmas memories are surrounded with, with pleasant things. Lots of food, a warm home, those kinds of things. People we care for around us. That's not everybody's Christmas experience, but on the whole... We have those experiences, and so we can tend to take our Christmas experience and what it means to us and shove that kind of into the reading of the Christmas story, and we forget a lot of times that the, the original nativity was more complicated and messy and uncomfortable than maybe the setting we take it in at. We take it in in a comfortable setting, and it happened in a very uncomfortable way, and so we're, we're looking at these different Portraits. And last week, if you missed it, we looked at the portrait of Joseph. We looked at, um, of course, he's Jesus' stepdad and what that means to be able to step into a role you didn't instigate, you didn't start and embrace that up. Um, and so you can catch that on our podcast. It's up. Uh, but this week, we're going to be looking at a, at a guy who we don't normally talk about uh, all the time. We do not have this guy in our nativity sets, even the big one, even if you've got all the shepherds. All of the, the wise men, all of the little flocks and the sheeps, this guy is still missing from your nativity set. If you have him, that, you're, you're more realistic, but you have this real angry, upset king, and his man named Herod, and we're going to look at that. So if you've got your bulletin open, your version app, and thankfully we're going to have notes on the screen, we've got all parts clicking, we've looked at this concept, that the first Christmas gives us a picture of how to respond to the gift of Jesus. How to respond to the gift of Jesus. And we need to recognize we're being given a gift and we have to respond well. You ever received a gift and you just didn't quite know how to respond? Maybe with somebody you weren't that tight with and they give you a gift and you're like, man, I didn't get you anything and I just don't even know how to deal with this. And there, sometimes there can be some awkward moments um, with some gifts and there can just be some situations in life um, where you don't quite know how to respond. And recently, um, I was reminded of uh, a, a time uh, just a couple of years ago uh, when uh, Cutie and I were going to Target. And so Cutie loves to, to go to Target and see what new is on the shelves and just enjoy the land of, of Target. And, uh, and so we go there and... So this day, we were on our little date night, and we had done our date stuff, and Target's open late, and so couldn't go stroll at the mall and do that thing, so we were going, and I was like, well, what if we go to Target? And of course, she never turns down going to Target. So we go to Target, and I pull up. It was a little cold. It was a little, a little wintry, and I said, hey, babe, um, you want me to let you out at the door? And as she sits there... We're in front of Target. I've kind of paused in front of the doors, and she just kind of stops. And she's like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, "Uh, do you want to be let out at the door? 
or do you want to walk with me? And she's like, ah, I don't know how to respond to this. And I'm like, okay, just what's the dilemma here? And she's like, well, um, I want to walk with you, but I don't want you to never offer to drop me off again. <laughs> and so I don't know how to do this. If I tell you ah, it's not a big deal, then I know you, and you'll just go, okay, she wants to walk with me. She doesn't want to be dropped off. She's like, sometimes I want to be dropped off. And I don't want to have to deal with the cold. And so she got locked down and didn't know. It's like, do I do it this way? Do I do it that way? What I because all of a sudden there, there are multiple ramifications, but different ways. And, and thankfully, just opening up in communication helped fix it. Now she's like, I want to walk with you, but ask me again. So now I was like, do you want to be dropped off? Sometimes it's yes. And she's like, no, not today. I just want to, I just want to walk with you. And so um, and sometimes we don't quite know how to respond. We see this thing, and of course the movie Talladega Nights exemplifies this whole thing of, you know, the guy's praying, you know, in the movie, and he's, you know, freaked out by grown-up Jesus, and he wants to talk to baby Jesus, you know, and pray, oh, sweet baby Jesus. And, um, you know, that one's accessible to him, you know, the, the sweet baby Jesus there in the, you know, in, in the manger, and so, and, and that's accessible, and we've, a lot of times we, we don't know, we were like, I want to respond to this part of Jesus um, but if I respond to this part of Jesus, what, what are, what's going to be the ramifications of that? The Savior sounds like a good thing to have. A, a king, a king doesn't sound like a good thing to have. I'm an American. We, we ditch kings. We burn kings in effigy and, and celebrate it at the 4th of July. King George, we don't want you anymore. We don't want kings. And, and we're an American, and we, we choose who's over us. And they, they don't treat us right. We ditch them in the next election. And, and, and I'm an American. We don't have a king. I don't even know how to respond to a king. How does a West Texan respond to a king? And when we're responding, it's not just sweet baby Jesus in the manger. It's... He was born a king, and we need to remember that. But first, let's look at John chapter 1. Again, you don't always start in John 1. We tend to go to Matthew, and we tend to go to Luke when we look at the, at the, the Christmas story. But I think it's important for us to see this, that John chapter 1, verse 11 says, And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Came full of grace and full of truth. When we respond to Jesus, we're responding to grace and we're responding to truth. We can't push one out and embrace the other. They are the same. They're not two sides of the same coin. They are the same. Grace is truth and truth is grace. There, and we have to recognize that. But Jesus, when he came, he came that, that any who would receive him might become the children of God. God wanted a family. God wanted a family. We have to remember that first and foremost. But this family is a royal family. This family is a royal family. And everybody in a royal family has authority and a role and title. But not everybody is king. Only one's king. And the only way the royal family works and the way it's supposed to be is when everybody embraces who is the rightful king. 
And as you and I begin to grow in this and we begin to step into it and see that we're the children of God. We're the children of God. It's not something you throw around in church because it's, it's, it's God's house. It's who we are. It's not a metaphor. It's the truth. We're the children of God. But we're also in that we're, we are a royal priesthood. It's a, it, we're, it, we step into and we're born into a royal family. And there's immediately in every, every family that doesn't recognize every royal family, there's this tension. And we, there's plenty of movies and TV shows about everyone trying and vying to be king. But we'll find, in, as we look at this, that our authority and our power is really found in letting, in letting Jesus be king. So when we're responding to Jesus, we're responding to a king. See, Jesus was born a king. He was born a king. We don't talk about the king part of Jesus all the time. And so we talk about the savior part of Jesus. We talked about the, the friend part of Jesus. We talk about the grace part of Jesus. But Jesus is a king. And, and no, I'm not going to preach every little scripture. You see your bulletin's full of scriptures. I'm not going to preach every one of them. But I want to do is I want to build a case that this needs to be a bigger part of our identity with Jesus, that he is king, he's Lord. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, there was a king there in the land. But then here comes Jesus. He's born. It says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And you know what Herod wants to say? I'm, hello, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king over Israel. You've come to the king over that's ruling over this area on behalf of, of, the, of Caesar. And you, you're talking to the king of the Jews and you're saying, where's the king that's been born? Um... Uh, no, 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 you've got this all messed up. And they say to him, where's the one born the king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The star of Christmas, the star over the nativity is the star of a king. There's a star of a king. And every time when we sit there, there is this image of, of the, the humanity of Jesus as a child laying in a manger. That he grew. He did not show up fully formed. God could have presented Jesus fully formed. Like you're like an Adam all over again. But he didn't. He had him go through the entire growth process. And there's Jesus in all of his humanity. And this, this light of the star of the king shining down upon him. We sing the song, Joy to the World. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. And that is what this is about. This is about receiving our king. And so many times we begin to put that part aside. And so quickly I want us to just kind of track through the, the gospels and see that Jesus' kingship, Jesus being a king, was very much a part of his identity all the way through. Not just something that, that showed up there and is going to show up sometime at the end of the age. But Jesus being a king was something that was all the way through the Gospels and even into the early church. John chapter 6, verse 13 says, And so they gathered them and filled, this is Jesus after feeding the 
uh, feeding the thousands, he said they gathered the, the leftovers. They gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So here are these thousands have eaten. There's 12 baskets loaves left over. And it says, and after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. They're saying, oh, he's the prophet. He's one. But look, Jesus understood what their hearts were decreeing. It says, Jesus, knowing that they all intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus never intended to be, be king at the end of a spear, at the end of a, of a lance, at the end of a sword, at the end of a gun, at the end of a missile, at the end of whatever implement of war. Jesus never intended to be king that way. And any time we do battle like that, in the name of Jesus, we are not honoring our king. We're not. We're not. Jesus saw them ready to do it in that moment, and he thwarts it. He puts an end to it. He's like, no, this is not who I am, and this is not what this is about. And he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. A little on in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. It says, the next day the, crowd, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the triumphal entry right before Easter. It says, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Here is this thing of this kingship just keeps showing up. It just keeps showing up. It's there at its birth. It's there when he performs miracles. It's there when he's coming in and it's just right before he is crucified. Pilate, who lives there in Jerusalem, knows what's going on. We jump down to John chapter 18. It says, And then Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you... The king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? And then the, the interaction keeps going on about this. It says, is, is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I was born to testify the truth. I was born to, to come into this. When, Jesus, when Pilate eventually has him crucified, Pilate has it written on a plaque. The Jewish leaders hated it and wanted it removed, but he had it written. John 19, 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Jesus was born a king. As he ministered, they tried to force him, to force him to be an earthly king, and Jesus was killed as a king. He was murdered as a king. We cannot get away from the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. We can't 
get away from that. In fact, let's look at the early church after Jesus is, has been uh, resurrected, ministers, go, ascends up into heaven. There's been all of this time goes by as the, the truth of who Jesus is and, and what he's done. The gospel has gone out and begin to invade the area uh, around Jerusalem and into to Eastern Europe. Here in Acts chapter 17, it says, And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. So all this time later, there's this big uproar because Jesus' early disciples were saying that they had a king whose authority went beyond that of Caesar. Caesar ruled all of where Paul originally went. All where the gospel originally went was all in the area of Rome. And they would say, not in a defiant thumb their nose, but, but they would try to be controlled. And they're like, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king, and it created this uproar. It says, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. So we see it from Jesus' birth. We see it throughout his ministry. We see it at his death, and we see it in the early church, this kingship of Jesus. Folks, you and I, when we, were, when we have to recognize we are embracing and responding to a king, well, what is the number one pushback against a king? It's when that king threatens our power. When that king threatens our power. The reason us as West Texans don't like the idea of having a king. We barely like the idea of having a congressman or a governor or a president. We certainly don't want them telling us what to do. Do as little as possible. Make sure nobody comes in and takes our stuff. That's your job. We'll live our lives. Is what West Texans think. But you know what? A king, king is complete. A king has authority. So King Jesus did not come to take our power. He came to restore our power. He came to restore it. See, under sin, we were powerless. And we thought we were choosing our own life. And all we were choosing was how we were going to destroy ourselves. That's all we were doing. We weren't choosing life. We were choosing destruction. You're like, I, will, I reserve the right to, deserve how, to, to choose how I mess my own life up. I reserve the right. Am I going to do it by throwing myself completely into my work and ignoring my family and, and, and building myself up and building my pride? Am I going to destroy my life and hate myself at the end of my days because of that? Am I going to hide from my failure? Am I going to destroy my life by hiding from my failure and putting on some sort of facade and trying to present to everybody some image on social media and Instagram that I've got things together and I keep my brokenness hidden? Am I going to destroy myself and rot myself from the inside by putting up a facade? I reserve the right to be able to do that. I'm not going to have a king tell me that I have to be vulnerable and honest and and be a person of, a, of integrity. and I'm not going to do that. I don't want a king telling me to do that. Am I going to do other things that are self-destructive? 
when a king comes in, Jesus didn't come to take our power. He came to restore it. He came to give it where we could have life and life abundantly. And one of the things, one of the reasons a lot of us are sitting in this room is because we went down the self-destructive cycle over and over again. And we tried it this way and we tried things this way and we tried things this way. And we realized the end result was always the same. Emptiness and a mess. And then we see there's, there's a king. But see, well, that, well, the king, he's going to have to have the authority. If we're going to get his rule and his way, we've got to let him have the authority. Let's look at what Jesus said about authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And then Jesus came to them, this is the disciples, at the very end of his ministry, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus just did. He said, All authority has been given to me. I've got all authority, and I'm sending you out to the whole world. I've given you guys the world. I have the authority, and if you'll go with me, you get the world. You can go all sorts of places, do all sorts of things in my name. Seeing lives change, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I've got all the authority. You come under that authority, and everything changes. In fact, Jesus was astonished. That somebody understood this principle. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 verses 9 and 10. It says for, where there's a, a, a centurion who's needing a miracle. And he comes to Jesus. And, and he says, for I myself am a man under authority. There's an authority over me and I, I, I respect that authority. And you would think the very next thing, him talking about, I'm a man under authority, I've got a boss over me, and I just do what I'm told. You would think that would be the next thought. I'm a man under authority, and I do what I'm told. No, look at this. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Because I am under authority, I have authority. And I tell this one, go, and guess what? He goes. And I say this one, <clears throat> To do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed. Because this guy gets it. This guy understands what authority is about. How we walk in the fullness of our authority. Not trying to grasp it and have it all for ourselves, but walk under the proper authority and then live in the authority and use the authority we've been given. Folks, part of us receiving and walking in and letting Jesus be king in our lives, it releases us to operate in a place of authority where we're not weak and getting battered around anymore. We can speak and we can use the name of Jesus. We can speak to our situations. We can speak to these different things. We can begin to enforce the king's decrees in our lives. If he says we're the head and not the tail, guess what? We're the head and not the tail. And if something comes against us, to begin to take that away, we begin to enforce it, not out of arrogance or brashness, but because we're submitted to the king. The king says that by his stripes we're healed. And then all of a sudden, some symptoms come upon us. We're like, you're trespassing. I have authority. You need to get out of here. Symptoms. I'm going to walk in a place of healing. I'm going to walk in a place of provision. I'm going to walk in these things because I have a authority and I'm under authority. 
Jesus' kingship comes to restore power, to restore it, but we got to let him be king to do it. Jesus goes on to say, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel. These are the people who should have known and understood faith the most. He said, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This guy understands it. He's like, I understand. You're operating under authority. You're here because you're sent from God. And now all I need you to do is say it. And my servant's healed. Just say it. And it's done. Jesus offered to come to his house. He's like, I'm not worthy to have you come in. You say it. It's done. Because of the authority. He was willing to take Jesus fully at his word. Folks, that's what you and I are called to do is take God fully at his word. And here's a guy who was able to have Jesus in his house. And he's like, I just need your word. We have his word and we're begging for him to show up at our house in some new, exciting way. When we've got all we need, when we have his word. This guy flipped it on its head. Jesus would have showed up at his house and all he wanted was his word. Folks, we have his word and it changes everything. So now, how do we respond to a king? Well, we want to make sure we respond in a way that lets him be king. Because when our power is threatened, well, we're going to see. We're going to look at Herod. When, we, when you feel like you're the one with your hand on the reins and you're the one in control of your life, and all of a sudden now you're at a place where you need to let somebody else be in control, our power can then be threatened. And then we begin to respond in a destructive way. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. And this is right after, right after. These wise men said, we've seen a star, this, this king of the, of the Jews, king of Israel. It says, and when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Yeah, a king hearing about another king, yeah, he's, he's disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He gets all the smartest people together in that area about this whole Messiah, this whole prophesied Savior. He says, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you of Bethlehem and the land of Judea, or by Judea, or by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And when Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word, for I too want to worship him. I want to worship him. Um, folks, uh, spoiler alert, if you're not familiar with this story, um, uh, Herod's full of it. Um, he's lying through his uh, kingly teeth. And so as we begin, as we carry on, and uh, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country, but by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So here they are. They're having to flee. Mary, just having given birth. In a town they're not even from. Caesar, the big king over everything, made a decree that they had to be a census. They had to go to a city of their birth. They go to the city of David, of the king, the kingly lineage. They have a hard journey when she's full term. There's no room for them. They, they're, they're sitting there. They're, they're, she gives birth in a, in, a, in a stable area. She's not in a place where she where should be. All of a sudden, God confirms, because I guarantee you, she was like, God, I thought you were with me in this deal. And then the shepherds show up, and the, the wise men show up, and the gifts and all this, and then they have to do a midnight escape. They have to flee in the middle of the night. God, I thought you were God. I thought you were, why don't you just deal with Herod? Why don't you just strike him down? He was giving them wisdom. He was telling them, go. So they leave, and they go. And it says, and this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I'll call my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And so, in a, one of the most horrible scenes imaginable then. Herod's soldiers ride into this area, into Bethlehem and the surrounding area. And they go into homes and they rip male boys two years old and under out of their mama's arms and they kill them. Trying to push out this new king. Trying to push out the new king. Herod went out of his mind trying to hold on to power. Doing things no human, reasonable, caring person would ever do. And folks, this is what we can, we can scoff at Herod all we want. Call him evil and terrible, and that was an evil act. But folks, you and I, we try to do workarounds, and we try to do stuff to hang on to our power all the time. Why is prayer our last resort so many times? No mean to step on anybody's toes here, but Why? Because we feel like we've got it under control. We feel like we can do it. We feel like we're doing a pretty good job of handling our lives. And then finally when we're backed into a corner, we go to God. And you know what? He's thankful that we do. He doesn't shake his head at us and say, why didn't you talk to me six months ago or, or six hours ago or whatever was the scenario. He gives us grace and he meets us there and he loves us. But folks, if we're going to live in the fullness of what this is, is we let him be king all the time. Even when we think we know what we, that we've got a good idea. You have any idea how many times I felt like I had a good idea and the Holy Spirit said, nope. And I could have made a list. Lord, no, seriously, this is a good idea. 
This is gonna, this is good, and it was a good idea to try to be a blessing to people, and it was a good idea to try to, to, to do, be a blessing to my family or others. And there are times that I listened to the Holy Spirit, and I was like, all right, I don't get it, but no. And man, I was so thankful, and there were times I didn't. And I, man, I regretted it. And God gave me grace and helped me in that time of need as well. But we need to let Him be King. We need to let Him be King. See, John 19, verse 14, says, In the day of preparation of the Passover, it was about to be noon, and Herod, I mean a Pilate, presents, and he says, Here's your king. And Pilate said to the Jews, But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. And shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. He keeps trying to give them their king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. These are people who hated the Roman government with all that they had. They hated it. They hated the Roman government. They hated their oppressors. They wanted somebody to push the Romans out. But their power, their religious power was threatened. And as soon as their religious power was threatened, Rome's okay. Rome's all right. Will align so we'll keep our power. Here we have the convergence of political power and religious power, both feeling threatened. And what did it end up? It ended up murdering God. Murdering God. And every time there's an unholy alliance between religious power and political power, God gets attacked. God gets attacked in that. And folks, we need to recognize that our role, our role is to make sure we have one king, and that's Jesus. At the time of, of Jesus in the early church, there in the Roman Empire, there was a phrase. And we're used to it being said one way, but this phrase actually existed before Jesus. And there was a phrase that went around to show that you were a solid Roman citizen. And they said, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And Jesus, the Jesus followers, in, in a simple declaration of their allegiance and their trust in, in Jesus and Jesus alone, changed it up. And now everybody's forgotten, unless you do or you're a, a, a scholar of, of history, forgot that Caesar is Lord ever existed as a phrase. But Christ followers for a couple of millennia now have been saying this phrase. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And what that means, it means he's king. It means I let his ways be my ways. And folks, that is the crux. That is the central thing of what Celebration Church is about. We want to know God better and trust him more. Folks, that is us growing up and letting him be Lord. We're going to choose his ways over our ways. We're letting him be our king. So every day, I know it's cute. You'll hear people say, you'll hear preachers say, Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. That's cute to say, but I've never found anybody that ever lived it. And there's lots of Christians on the planet. So what do we do? We want him to be Lord of all. We want him to. But we grow in it. Where we're every time when there's a tension between our way and God's way, letting him be Lord is choosing God's way. When there's a tension between what we want to do and what, the, what God is leading us in, we choose his way. That's how this goes down. In fact, Romans chapter 10, 
Verse 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Folks, our bottom line this morning is that receiving Jesus is receiving your king. It's receiving your king. And we need to make sure of that. We need to make sure that we're growing and letting his kingdom rule bigger and bigger in our lives every day. See, growing as a child of God means fully receiving the gift of Jesus, the gift of our King. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.